Well, good morning. Thanks. Great to see all of you worshiping with us today. Uh, before I start the message, uh, I just want to remind us that the, the Church of Jesus is larger than these four walls here at Glenkirk. And um, thinking about several ways that that's true, thinking about John Damiani's family visiting from Pennsylvania today, thinking about the men's night of worship that we've had with several local churches in the area. And I want to share a couple of ways real quick that, um, that the ministry of Glenkirk is serving some other churches um, um, there's a church within our network um, where the um, pastor had a cycling accident a while back and had to have surgery, and they expect him to recover, but um, Andrea Messenger, our parish associate, was able to go there last Sunday and to preach and to minister to that church. And then there's another church that we pray with in our community here in Glendora, and um, their pastor is away on leave, and they didn't have anybody today. So Pastor Kate is there right now leading them in communion and sharing the message. And then um, this afternoon, um, I leave for Houston for a week uh, to be with our network of churches, ECO, as um, we meet with uh, several ordination candidates that are in the final stages of their ordination journey. And I'll be with them this week as well as some others to help them prepare and to let them know if there's anything else they need to work on. And so just a reminder that um, the, the church of Jesus is larger than our four walls. You know, I was 16 years old the first time I borrowed money. It was a low-interest two-year loan from my parents to buy my first car. And I think we have a picture of the make model of my, yep, that's it. The make, model, and even the color of my first car, 1976 Ford Pinto. Not much to look at. Had a reputation for exploding if you got rear-ended because the gas tank was in the back. But it was my car. And uh, I ended up working, I was working the grill at Wendy's Hamburgers while I was in high school. And so I made payments to my parents for two years to pay off the car. And I didn't miss any payments because I lived with my lender, my parents. So... I got my first credit card when I was 18 years old. I was a student at Mount San Antonio Community College, and MasterCard had set up a table on the college campus near the cafeteria, and this was before the 2009 law where credit card com companies have to stay a 1,000 feet away from college campuses. Um, <laughs> So this is before that law, so I eagerly filled out the application, and I received my first credit card in the mail a couple of weeks later. And before I knew it, I'd maxed out the card and hit the limit, and I could only afford to make the monthly payment. So out of kindness, they increased my credit limit. I'm sure it was kindness. Um, so I could use it even more. And when I got engaged the next year, I had to work extra hours to pay down that card in order to afford the expenses of the wedding. Now, those two stories represent two very different experiences in borrowing money. In the first case, it made sense to borrow money to buy my first car because I didn't have the money up front. I had a job. It was a low-interest loan, and I could afford it. In the second case, I was the target of predatory lending as a credit card company pushed an incredibly high interest rate credit card on me without me as an 18-year-old really understanding what that meant until I started getting the bills. Borrowing money is complicated. I know some Christians who say you should never borrow money. No credit cards, no student loans, no car loans, no home loans. 
Some Christian-based financial planning programs teach that it's always a bad idea to borrow money. And I know other Christians who say that borrowing money is necessary in our kind of economy, that borrowing money within reasonable limits is the best way to build your credit. Borrowing money is complicated. So let me give you a couple of statistics about debt. Um, According to the credit rating company Experion, the average American today carries $96,000 in debt. On average, American households spend just shy of 10% of their paycheck on debt repayment each month or each paycheck. Uh, The average American has a $5,500 credit card debt, $17,000 in personal loans, which are usually consolidated credit card debt, uh, $21,000 in auto loans, $40,000 in student loans, $40,000 in home equity loans, and $220,000 in home loans. According to Forbes, as of February of this year, the average annual interest rate for a credit card was 24.4%, and it's continuing to rise. During the pandemic, credit card spending went down, but it's begun to creep back up again. So what does God's wisdom have to say to us about borrowing money and debt? Uh, We're in week four of this five-week series that we're calling Money Wise. And in this series, we're looking to the Bible's book of Proverbs to find God's wisdom about our finances. God's wisdom is like the wood grain of the world. Wise people learn to live with the grain of God's wisdom, and unwise people splinter their lives against the grain of God's wisdom. And in week one, we looked at receiving as author and Glenkirk member John Thornton reminded us that everything we have, we have received from God. Then in the second week, I talked about earning. And we saw that God has given every person a different earning potential. And when we use our earning potential diligently and wisely within the limits God has given us, that we honor God in our lives and we contribute to other people's flourishing. But when we neglect that earning potential, or we use it unwisely, we dishonor God and we contribute to other people's suffering. Last week, we talked about saving, and we saw that saving money is hard because it requires delayed gratification, but it's also wise because it's a form of investing. It blesses other people, and it prepares us for the unexpected. So today, we're going to look at debt and borrowing from Proverbs chapter 22. So I want to invite you, if you're willing and able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word from Proverbs 22. Beginning in verse 1, it says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are rich, riches and honor and life. In the paths of the wicked are snares and pitfalls, but those who would preserve their life stay far from them. Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Then skip to verse 26 and 27 of the same chapter. 
Do not be one who shakes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means of pay, your very bed will be snatched out from under you. This is the word of the Lord for us today. You can be seated. In this collection of Proverbs, we find a couple of different references to borrowing money in debt. And the first one is actually in verse 1. A good name is more desirable than riches. In the Old Testament, your name was your reputation. And so a good name was a good reputation. Back then, they didn't have companies like TransUnion, Experion, or Equifax to to rate your credit and give you a, a FICO score. Your name was your credit score. And a good name meant you had a reputation for paying your debts and making good on your obligations. A bad name meant that you were at risk of defaulting on your debts and not meeting your obligation. And that's why a good name is so valuable in these Proverbs. A good name is like a FICO score in the 800s. But verse 2 of this chapter is quick to remind us that wealthy people and people who experience poverty share a common humanity. All people, rich and poor, are created by God. All, without distinction, are made in God's image and have inherent value, dignity, and worth. Some wealthy people are dishonest, cruel, and unjust. But others who are wealthy got their wealth through wisdom and diligence and fortunate circumstances. In the words of Proverbs, There are wise, wealthy people, and there are foolish, wealthy people. And the same is true for people who experience poverty. Some people are poor because they refuse to use their earning capacity wisely. They lack diligence. But many others are poor because they're victims of injustice or gone through terrible tragedy or difficult circumstances. So don't presume to know someone's story because of where they might fall on the economic scale. Rich and poor are both made by God. They belong to God. They're beloved by God. And they both equally bear the image of God. They share the same maker. Verse 7 says that the rich rule over the poor. It's just an observation about the way things are. It's not saying it's a good thing. It's just saying that the way things are in our world as it currently is, wealthy people use their wealth to dominate people who have less. The second half of verse 7 goes even further, that the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, when the book of Proverbs was written, this observation was literally true. If a person defaulted on a debt that they owed... That person or a family member of that person would have to become a literal slave to their creditor until their debt was paid off, usually for what we would call pennies on the dollar. Today, debt slavery is illegal in many countries, and it's against international law, but it's still practiced at various parts in the world, especially in parts of South Asia and in sub-Sahara Africa. According to the United Nations, in, in 2011, there are more than 20 million people around the world in debt slavery. Proverbs 22.7 is not condoning debt slavery. It's simply describing the reality of debt slavery as it existed in the ancient world. The borrower is slave to the lender. Finally, verses 26 and 27 deal with pledging for another person's debt. 
Shaking hands in a pledge is the equivalent to entering into a binding agreement, like signing a contract. It was putting your reputation on the line for another person's debt. This proverb warns us that we risk losing whatever we put forward as collateral when we vouch for another person. Your very bed could be snatched away from you if the person you're vouching for doesn't pay their obligation. Now, all of these Proverbs are very negative about borrowing money. And if the book of Proverbs was all we had, we might conclude that it is never wise to borrow money. But if we expand from Proverbs to the rest of the Bible, we actually find that it's not quite that simple. For example, Deuteronomy 28-12 says this, The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the works of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but borrow from none. Here God is promising Israel that if they obey him and live wisely, that they won't need to borrow, but they will be in a position to lend. And in fact, throughout the Old Testament, Being in a position to lend another person money was viewed as a sign of God's blessing in your life. And if borrowing was always bad, then lending people money would be leading them to do something that was bad. The Bible actually encourages those in a position to lend to do so, especially to those who have significant need. So although the Bible is mostly negative about borrowing money, it keeps open the possibility that there may be times and circumstances that require borrowing. So what about charging interest? Well, the Old Testament is clear that we shouldn't charge people interest when we loan them money. Exodus 22:25 says, If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. Proverbs 28.8 says, whoever increases wealth by taking interest or profit off the poor amasses it for another who will be kind to the poor. For the first 1,500 years of church history, Christians around the world were unified in their conviction that Christians shouldn't charge other people interest in a loan. Banks might charge interest. But Christians shouldn't charge other people interest. And it was only after the Reformation that this began to be reinterpreted or even ignored and personal loans began to be viewed as an income stream. I guess my parents didn't read that when they charged me interest on that car loan. So the wisdom of the Bible generally treats borrowing money as a bad idea. Though being in a position to lend money is a sign of God's blessing. So why do people borrow money in the first place? Why why do we go into debt? Well, in the world of the Bible, it was almost always desperation that led people into debt. Pests destroyed the crops on your farm. Your house burned down, leaving you nowhere to live. The landowner you were leasing your land from for your farm doubled the rent. There were no social programs or protections for these kinds of circumstances. So if something like that happened and you didn't have money saved up or family members to rely on and support you, you faced a desperate situation. Most people who went into debt in Bible times did so because they felt like they had no other choice. And this is why the Old Testament law is filled with with regulations and laws that are designed to protect people who borrow money 
out of desperation. There are limits on how long their debt is, limits on what can be taken as collateral and how long it could be held, limits on charging interest, and so on. But of course, there were always predatory lenders back then who ignored all these laws, who were more than happy to take advantage of people in desperate circumstances. And sometimes people today borrow out of desperation. person living from paycheck to paycheck and their car breaks down and they need their car to get to work and so they put the repair, a $1,000 repair on their credit card even though they can't afford to pay it off. And the average credit card interest rate, annual interest rate right now is about 24%. They take a year to pay that off. They'd end up paying $1,240 for a $1,000 repair. Or a person's hours get cut at work, and so they have to go, or they go to a payday lender to to get the money to make rent. And payday loans are two-week loans at ridiculously high interest rates. A person who goes to a payday lender is twice as likely to end up in bankruptcy. Nearly all borrowing in the Bible was out of desperation. And sometimes people today go into debt out of desperation. But today, sometimes we borrow money to make impulse purchases. We want something right now, so we use our credit card to buy that new MacBook or those new rock climbing shoes to get personal because one of mine has a hole in it, or that new whatever that we don't want to wait to get. We tell ourselves we'll pay off the the balance before the next cycle ends, but and maybe we will, but often we don't. Sometimes we make impulse buys. And in our economy, we sometimes borrow money to make large purchases that we don't have the money to buy outright. And the most obvious is buying a car or buying a house. I took out a car loan for my Subaru six years ago, and though I got a 2% interest rate because I went through a credit union, and I celebrated when I paid off that loan, and I planned to drive that Subaru into the ground until it falls apart. And only the wealthiest among us have the the cash to buy a house up front. Many people who are homeowners save up for a down payment and then um, take out a mortgage to to buy the house. Borrowing money for a house is something people in Bible times never would have even considered doing. Back then, property was passed down in families from generation to generation. So if you didn't already have property in your family, you probably never would. You would always rent or lease property. Again, back then, most borrowing was out of desperation, rarely to make an impulse purchase or a large purchase. And I think it's really important for us to understand the differences between the economy back then and the economy today to rightly apply God's wisdom to us. So let me outline three principles about borrowing from these Proverbs. Just mention three. First, when we borrow money, we enter into a kind of servitude. We enter into a kind of servitude. Debt slavery may be illegal in most parts of the world today, but borrowing money still creates a kind of slavery. The borrower is still slave to the lender in certain ways. When we borrow money, we limit our future options. Uh, Consider a woman I know who felt called by God when she was in high school to become a missionary to Kenya. She knew that most missions agencies uh, required some kind of college education to become a missionary, and you can't exactly study to become a missionary at a state school, so she applied to a private Christian university. But she and her family couldn't afford a private Christian university, so she took out student loans. 
She received an excellent education at the school she went to that prepared her well for cross-cultural work. But by the time she graduated, she owed $70,000 in student loans. Now, most missionaries have to raise their own financial support to go on the mission field. So now, in addition to having to raise support for her living expenses, she had to raise enough to make her student loan payments, and she couldn't raise enough money. So she ended up not going on the mission field for several years and working several jobs in order to pay down her debt. The borrower is still slave to the lender. Borrowing money limits our options. It's a kind of servitude. So we should enter into it cautiously. Here's the second principle. When we vouch for others to borrow money, we assume responsibility for repayment. We assume responsibility for repayment. Do not be one who shakes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts, verse 26 says. A couple of years ago, one of my sons decided it was a great idea to rent a big house with four of his friends. He was 25 years old at the time, and because none of them had much of a credit history, the property manager insisted that they sign a two-year lease and they find a co-signer for the lease. And so my son asked me to go out to breakfast with him, and while we were having breakfast, he asked if I would co-sign on the lease. Now, he had a steady job, but I didn't know any of the other guys, and two years is an awfully long time. So I said, son, I'm so glad we have the kind of relationship where you feel like you can ask me for that. But the answer is no. Well, one of the other guy's parents co-signed for the lease. They all moved in together, and it was a total disaster. My my son moved out a little over a year after because of how terrible the living conditions had become. And the guy whose parents co-signed, he moved out as well, but the parents had to keep diligently making payments um, um, on the lease until the lease was up. When we vouch for other people, we assume responsibility for repayment. Finally, here's a third principle I think we learned from these Proverbs. When we borrow money, we should repay it. When we borrow, we are obligated to repay it. Romans 13, 6 and 7 says, Give to everyone what you owe them. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. We should repay what we owe, and that includes the money we borrow. And we we should repay it as quickly as possible, especially at high interest rates like a credit card. Part of our discipleship as followers of Jesus is paying our debts. The average household pays nearly 10% of their monthly income on debt repayment. Imagine what you could do with that money if you weren't paying debt with it. So how do we get started? Now, let me give a caveat. Don't let a sermon replace the wise words of a financial advisor. But one approach is to start by paying off your smallest debt first. And then the next smallest, building on the success of each debt you pay off. Another approach is to start with whatever the highest interest rate is, and to start there. Some people take temporary part-time jobs just to pay off debt. And of course, the key there is to avoid going into more debt as you pay down your debt. My my parents' generation would freeze their credit cards in an ice bucket. So by the time it would take the ice bucket to thaw out, the the urge to do an impulse buy might have passed. But, of course, my generation had microwaves, so that didn't work so well. (laughs) Today, we have all of our credit card information saved on our smartphone or an Apple Pay or on Amazon. All we have to do is click Buy Now, and, and it's charged. So sometimes we have to cancel our cards or to keep from using them or find accountability 
But the more out of debt we get, the freer life will feel. The more options will open up to us in life. So borrowing money, it may be sometimes necessary, but it's something we should avoid as much as possible, especially borrowing at high interest rates. When we borrow, we enter into a kind of servitude. When we co-sign for others, we assume and are obligated for their debts. And as followers of Jesus, God calls us to pay off our debts as quickly as we can. Now, one reason we don't talk about this stuff to each other is we're often embarrassed by our finances, especially embarrassed by our debt. But you know, there's a sense in which all of us are in the same boat when it comes to debt. See, the Bible frequently pictures our sins as a debt, a debt that we owe to God. And we see this imagery most clearly in the prayer Jesus taught us, the prayer that Gina led us in earlier in the service. Luke's version of the prayer has, forgive us our sins. But Matthew's version, the version we prayed, has, forgive us our debts. Our sins are a debt a debt we owe to God that we could never repay even in a hundred lifetimes. Every time we disobey God, every time we hurt another person, every time we fail to do what God has called us to do, we add to that debt that we could never repay. We are all in the same boat. We are all debtors. We owe an obligation that we could never repay. And Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Admitting that we are poor in spirit is admitting that we have incurred a debt that we cannot repay. God's kingdom is not reserved for people who have no debt. God's kingdom is reserved and given to the poor in spirit for those who admit their debt. God's, God alone is the one who can release us from that debt. He alone has the resources to pay it. And so next time we're tempted to judge other people because of their finances or because of their indebtedness or because of their financial choices, let's remember that we are all debtors, that we have all are poor in spirit, that we are all recipients of grace, all enriched by a sacrifice that we did not earn and that we will never deserve. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to pay our debt. And as we prepare to celebrate communion today, as we prepare to eat the bread and drink from the cup of the sacrament, we are reminded that we all come with a debt that we cannot pay, that we all need grace. Lord, some of us have lived wisely. Some of us have lived unwisely. But none of us could pay the debt that we owe. So, Father, we come in humility and gratitude because you are the one who paid the price to set us free. Amen.